Hi, I'm Esther Yunji Kang. And I'm Susie On. Welcome to Shoes Off, a sexy Asians podcast. Today, we'll talk to Domi Shi, who's kicking ass in the animation world. Her 2018 short film, Bao, made her the first woman to direct a short film at Pixar and the first woman of color to win an Oscar for Best Animated Short. To all of the nerdy girls out there who hide behind their sketchbooks, don't be afraid to tell your stories to the world. And with her now Oscar-nominated movie, Turning Red, she is the first woman to solo direct a feature film in Pixar's history. I feel like for me, like making this film started my journey of like going back, revisiting this time in my life that I was like, I don't want to revisit this ever again. It's so embarrassing. It's so cringy. And I feel like that's what great art and great stories kind of force you to do like when you're making it it, it's supposed to be like revealing some uncomfortable truths about yourself you know Susie our conversation with Domi reminded me of something that's been on my mind a little bit sometimes when I FaceTime my parents and my kids doing homework they would look at her and say that's right. Just be just like your mom. If you're like your mom, you're going to be great. And I hate that so much because I don't want her to be like me. I mean, I was a lazy sack of caca when I was in high school, middle school, all but of that time. she doesn't know that. You look like a very successful person now. Well, I don't know about all that. But, I mean, honestly, I was mouthing off to my teachers. I was cursing at them. I was... <laughs> skipping classes. I was copying everybody's homework. And every time I go home, I try to tell them, listen, I'm not who you think I was back then, but they're still in denial. So they knew nothing about your caca self. (laughs) No, they didn't. I always wanted to ease their burden, right? So like, you know, immigrant life, it was very hard on them. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I didn't add one more thing to that, right? And so I was trying to be good. I was very obedient. I said, yes, I'm doing great in school. (laughs) So they have no idea who I was. So I don't know, like, did you have like a different self in front of your parents? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's interesting that your whole thing was that you wanted to ease their burden. Mm. For me, it was just like this sense of like disapproval and shame of like why I wanted to be a different person in front of them versus what I was like at at school or in front of my friends. Mm. And like I was, you know, by most accounts, a good kid. But there were a lot of things I would never tell my parents. It's not even like bad stuff. Like one time they actually did catch me doing something. And I'm going to tell the story and people are like, what? What's the big deal? You know, in middle school, I wanted to act. I wanted to be you an wanted actress. You wanted to be an actress? And I lied to my parents because I wanted to audition for like some talent agency that was, I don't oh know, casting God. kids for commercials in or Alabama? something. In Alabama? In oh, Alabama. Wow. So, you know, it's not, it's not top tier stuff. <laughs> but I asked them if I could audition and they said no. And so I said, okay, you're right. Fine. They thought I was at basketball practice. I snuck out with a friend. We went to the audition. Yes. And I was a dumbass and left my name tag on when I got home. Oh, shit. And they knew. They were furious. Oh, man. And, I mean, the other thing with my parents, too, my parents would say to me, we don't want you to suffer. We don't want you to starve. And so they were so angry that I would do that and go against them. And that's, like, that was their whole thought. Mm. I know that now, but, like, at the time, it's just sort of like, well— then I don't want to tell you stuff. Right, right. The struggle of being true to yourself, trying to honor your parents, mm-hmm. but also just trying to be authentic. And so that's at the heart of Turning Red, uh, the coming-of-age film from Pixar. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's exactly what we talked to Domi Shi about in this episode, how her relationship with her mom inspired that movie and how her dad was kind of her first art teacher, too. That was really sweet. And, you know, at the same time, she's still hiding stuff from them, too. Like, I think she was trying to hide sexy manga from them. Oh, yeah, sexy manga. (laughs) Well, we talk about all that and more after the break. Stick around. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Susie, were you a doodler in school? I was. I was. uh, I love to draw um, evening wear on my (laughs) trapper keeper and, and, of course, the cool S because my name starts with S, so I always had like the cool S whenever I was writing my name. Nice. Well, for me, it was the Seattle Mariners baseball team logo over and over. I don't know. I really like that team. <laughs> While the rest of us were just trying to stay awake in class, our sexy Asian today was making real art and training for an impressive career. Now, as an Oscar-winning director for Pixar and vice president of creative, she's leaned into her nerdy, awkward middle school years to bring us the hilarious and relatable animated feature, Turning Red. Domishi, welcome to Shoes Off, a Sexy Asians podcast. It's great to be here. Woo, I'm sexy. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yes, you are. You are. Well, when in your life did you, you know, kind of realize that you were sexy? Ah, just now, being on the podcast. (laughs) I mean, I've always wished I was sexy. I guess I just had this image in my head of what sexy was, like someone cool and confident and uh, had great sense of fashion. I guess up until this point, I'm just like, I'm not sexy. I'm like, I could be like dorky and I could be funny and I could be confident, but I don't know if I ever characterized myself as sexy. But maybe I should reconsider that and reclaim that label. <laughs> yeah, well, when you when you got the note from your publicist about this podcast, were you like, wait, what? Oh, I was excited. And I knew that you guys were going to like subvert it in some way and like reclaim it in some cool way. So, yeah, I was just really excited just to be part of your sexy Asian club. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, did you ever have experiences that made it challenging to own your confidence or own your sexiness? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we've all been there like in uh, high school and middle school. Like I specifically remember this one moment in middle school, like coming back from recess, a girl like leaned over and whispered to me like, I think you should wear a bra. <laughs> oh, shoot. And I was like, oh my God, what? I was suddenly like so self-conscious. Oh. And, um, you know, through middle school and high school, like I was like a bigger girl and, and I did have pretty big boobs. <laughs> I was trying to like hide them. And yeah, it's just so awkward, you know? I think that's also just why I wanted to make a movie about a tween kind of right. dealing with the awkwardness of her body. <laughs> well, on, on the flip side of that, did you ever have moments of like, you know, just creepy Asian fetish dudes coming up to you? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even now it's like I'd be at a bar and then the bartender would be like, 
this drink is from this gentleman over there and I look over there and just some like old white guy that already has like two Asian ladies oh, like on wow. his arms and I was like ew wow. I'm not gonna be your third <laughs> sorry dude but thanks for the drink I'm totally not gonna drink it <laughs> yeah it's so weird and it's always like I don't know why it's always an old white guy yeah <laughs> Well, uh, you know, turning to your artwork, you, you post your artwork on Instagram, and sometimes you draw what you call Instagram hose. What's the inspiration <laughs> behind this? It's just admiration, you know, of like a lot of these um, women and, and people on, on Instagram who are so beautiful and confident, and they have such a great sense of style. And like, I'm so inspired by that confidence. And that, I guess it's also like, you know, like me, like, it's like wish fulfillment. It's like, I'm not going to pose like that, but I can draw a character right. posing like that, dressing like that. It's kind of like a surrogate for me. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations, by the way, on your first animated feature, Turning Red. Um, it's about a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl, May, who is trying to figure out who she is while honoring her parents. But also, she's going through magical puberty and turns into a giant red panda with every strong emotion. Um, do you ever look back at your 13-year-old self and just cringe and think like, wow, even still today, that embarrasses me? Oh, yeah. I mean, I put all that in the movie, you know, like having a secret sketchbook I hid <laughs> under my bed. That was totally a thing that I did. Um, but luckily, my mom never discovered it <laughs> i remember like buying my first sturdy uh manga oh. you know, like, like japanese comic but i like thought i could hide it in plain sight so i just put it on my bookshelf in between my harry potter books wow <laughs> and uh i just remember thinking like oh my god if my mom or dad ever found this like i would be so mortified and i remember i was in college i had this like overwhelming fear that they're going to find it. So I called my cousin who was <laughs> oh. staying with my parents at the time. And I was like, hey, there's this book. There's this uh, this comic book on my shelf in between the Harry Potters. Could you like find it and then just just get rid of it, dispose of it, burn it, something? And she like texted back like, like I took care of it. Uh, wow. so, what was yeah. it? What was it? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if you guys know yaoi or boy love uh it's like a genre of um japanese comics written and drawn mostly by women mm. and like female artists that uh explore male on male romance and it can go from very innocent mm. to like very raunchy mm. and a lot of fans of bl and yaoi are women and girls and teens and it's kind of like I think it hits on the same uh, brain synapses as boy bands, like the oh, people yeah. who are really into boy bands. It's like a safe space to explore the opposite sex mm. where a woman or a female isn't objectified or like like isn't isn't part of the conversation. So I just remember like I, like I was into that as a teenager and I'd be like, oh my gosh, if my parents ever <laughs> I would totally die. <laughs> Good move hiding it in between the Harry Potters. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, there are many things in Turning Red that, that were familiar to us. And, and I want to go down a list and ask you where the inspiration came from for, for some of these things. So in the movie, there was, you know, the embarrassing moment at the Daisy Mart. You! Oh, what have you done to my Mei Mei? Uh, who? Maylin Lee, right here. I should report you to the police. How old are you? 
30? I'm 17. Oh, see? See? This is what happens when you don't wear sunblock and do drugs all day. She's just a sweet, innocent child. How dare you take advantage of her? Mom! No! Is this something that ever happened to you? Because I feel like, maybe not to this scale, but I feel like something like that has happened to me as a teen. Oh, man. Um, I feel like my parents and my mom have embarrassed me so many times, <laughs> but I don't... Like, luckily, that has never happened. I think that mm. was, like, me and Julia Cho, our writer, like, trying to think of, like, something so embarrassing <laughs> and so traumatizing that it would, like, trigger this red panda creature inside of her and um for me it was like well what if my secret sketchbook was found out <laughs> and was revealed to you know my crush <laughs> by my mom so we were like let's put that in the movie let's put her worst fear my worst fear yeah. <laughs> uh in the movie and we also wanted it to be kind of like like funny too it's like both funny and cringy because you know you, you have the mermaid drawing <laughs> feel um it just felt like such a perfect and specific drawing to reveal because I think a lot of my friends and I had mermaid phases oh yeah, um, yeah. and combining beautiful boys with animals like you know centaurs <laughs> mermaids I don't know why that was a thing but it was also an opportunity just to like show this little specific detail and like truth about teen girls <laughs> I love that what about uh, trying to go to a concert, but mm-hmm. your parents not letting you? Did that ever happen? Yeah, so much. Um, it, it wasn't even like an option for me. Mm. Like I, I, I never got to go to a concert. Mm. And I remember just feeling so much envy towards the the girls and the kids in school who came back from like Backstreet Boys concerts <laughs> or NSYNC concerts. And they had this merch <laughs> and they just had this glow about them. And I just remember being like, wow, like what happened at the concert? Like <laughs> They like went to the next level. They ascended somewhere. And I just used Turning Red as an opportunity to kind of, again, it's that wish fulfillment of like, of, of my 13 year old self, like finally taking her to the concert she's always wanted to go to. <laughs> And and what about Tyler? I feel like uh, someone somewhere had a kid at school who was trying to be Nelly. Is that what Tyler was going for? Yes, yes, that was definitely like like his little band aid on his uh, face is the shout out to that. And yeah, I feel like boys in that era were like wearing the like long basketball jerseys mm-hmm. and their Air Force Ones. And um, but then also like, you know, the reveal in the movie that he's a huge Four Town fan. <laughs> it was just a shout out to like all the boys mm-hmm. that were into boy bands, but were too like ashamed or shy to admit it. And um, I only found out about this recently. Like I talked to my boyfriend and his male friend. And uh, his friend was like a huge NSYNC fan, Hmm. but he was also like, you know, captain of the wrestling team (laughs) in in high school. But he like really liked NSYNC and thought they were like a really great acapella group, but he could never reveal that. And I'm like, oh, that that sucks. Yeah. So it was just a good opportunity to like, yeah, give a shout out to all the boys that like boy bands too. The movie definitely had me going down memory lane uh, in middle school. And mm-hmm. I remember like it, it brought back this specific um, moment of dancing to uh, end of the road with, with my crush. Hey, Tay, you, <laughs> if you're out there uh, at a dance. And were you as boy crazy as May was? Well, 
I think I was more fictional boy crazy. Oh my god! <laughs> and um, you know how how they say like like don't like make your work too autobiographical <laughs> and like put some distance yeah, yeah. between you and your work. I think that was that was my attempt to like kind of make May's obsession and her drive feel a little bit more universal. But yeah, I was like really into Harry Potter. I was really into anime and I would just love like drawing fictional boys <laughs> in my sketchbook. Um, actually, I also just drew like, you know, for like extra money, sometimes like girls in my classroom would pay me uh, like a dollar to like draw them with their crush <laughs> on a swing or draw their crush in them with their like, I don't know, like their future kid or something. But like, yeah, that would be my thing. Like I, I loved drawing. And then, and then eventually when I was in, um, towards the end of high school, uh, and then into college, I started going to anime conventions and like selling my artwork and fan art, like at prints for like actual money. And that's, that was like my, my side hustle. I mean, like at that point, did you realize this is like a true talent I have? This is something that can be a thing for me. Yeah, I think it just uh, gave me like a little bit more confidence that maybe I could do this for a living. At that point, like it was in high school, I still haven't figured out yet, like what exactly I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to draw. Like these anime conventions are where I um, I found these artists that I like admire and follow online. And I asked them like in person, like, where did you go to school? Like, where did you study? And they mentioned Sheridan College Mm. and the animation program there. And uh, I just followed them. Did you feel like that was um, the right choice or like was there any pressure to go to you know the Harvard of, of Canada like McGill or any any place like that? Uh, I think I knew pretty early. I think I knew early on that I was not gonna go to McGill. Okay. <laughs> like I was always an A student in art and creative writing but never in any of the other mm. uh, classes and uh, I knew I wanted to do something creative and uh, it, it it was more like because my mom worked at the University of Toronto, so I would have gotten free tuition if uh, I studied art there instead. Yeah. So it was more like convincing them that they should invest in in me going to animation school yeah. instead of getting a free education at the University of Toronto. So I had to like pitch it to them, mm. similar to May yeah, right. in the movie. I had to like like show them like this is an average salary of an animator like oh look benefits (laughs) oh it's like full-time you know employment healthcare, 401k all that stuff because I think you know for a lot of Asian parents and immigrant parents they just don't know like they don't have any friends or connections in the animation or film industry and they they just don't think it's like and and they don't see themselves you know Like, like as examples in these award shows or you know like on TV or interviews so they don't know that it could be like a viable career at all and they don't want to take that risk you know spend that money but also risk you know their kid being disappointed and stuff so I just had to convince them I mean but your your parents kept so much of your artwork it seems like they made a little book with like a table of contents so it seems that they were at least supportive in uh, the way that they knew that you were talented what sort of support did you get in honing your art skills? Oh, yeah. I mean, I got so much support from my parents. Um, I feel like because both of them come from academia and my dad 
is an artist himself like they were always super supportive of of me pursuing you know something creative but I think it was like 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 I think my mom was like what about medical illustration (laughs) Uh, uh, and I was like I guess that's a good compromise between being a doctor and an artist but when I told them that I really wanted to apply to animation school, they were like all for it. And my dad even like helped me prepare my portfolio. Oh, um, he's always been kind of like my art teacher mm. ever since I was a kid. But mm. like when uh, I decided to do this thing, he was like, okay, well, I'm going to teach you how to gesture draw. We're going to go to life drawing classes together. Oh. Uh, that was really fun and awkward drawing <laughs> naked models next to your dad <laughs> for three hours. <laughs> And having him like look over your shoulder and comment <laughs> on like the muscle groups, and like you can refine that thigh muscle a little bit more. And I'm like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, you know I I couldn't be here today without their support. Yeah, I'm curious about your dad because in Turning Red we see a lot about the mom and and May. And the dad was really, um, he was a real softy in, in the movie, and he kind of always was in tune with May's emotions. But I'm a monster. Hmm. People have all kinds of sides to them, May. And some sides are messy. The point isn't to push the bad stuff away, it's to make room for it, live with it. And I saw that and, you know, I think about my husband and how he is with with our daughter. And so um, that was really touching. How much of that character is based on your dad? Well, my dad in real life is a little louder, but like I feel like me and him kind of always clicked a little easier Mm. because both of us are artists. Mm. And, uh, you know, we would get into fights, too, but they would blow over pretty quickly and he's always been my biggest fan. And I think I wanted to like show that and celebrate that in the movie uh, with May and her relationship with her dad. Like I fought more with my mom, but I was, I'm closer with my mom too. Mm. I think it's that like, you know, that mother daughter, but also like Asian mother, Asian daughter relationship. That's so complex. Right. I think that's what uh, inspired me to, tell this story and you know it's funny because like when I first pitched the idea for the movie to my parents my dad's like oh you're making another movie about you and your mom (laughs) and I'm like I'm sorry it's just we just got along better and that's like a less interesting story (laughs) but you know maybe I'll dedicate my next movie to him (laughs) nice nice After the break, we dig into the big question of turning red and talk about why diverse storytelling is crucial to have in animation. Stay with us. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
going back to the film, another aspect that I really loved was seeing the different selves that we have, one for home, one for school, et cetera, et cetera. And that was me. I mean, how much of those two different selves that we have is is an immigrant experience thing versus just the nature of, of being a, a teenager? I don't know. There's just something about being an immigrant kid, man. I think it's like we have that very specific relationship with our parents where mm-hmm. I think like we just know that they sacrifice so yeah, much we, and we 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 love them so much and we want them to be proud of us yeah. I think that's what adds to the like not wanting to show them an f on your report right, card yeah. or like that you got into trouble you want to preserve that perfect daughter perfect son image in their heads because because you want to bask in that that glow of their approval mm. but at the same time you you know you're a teenager you 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 want to like branch out you want to rebel mm. you want to experiment i think that that was like something that we really wanted to capture in the movie too that may like literally like idolized her mom and mm. saw her as this like goddess mm. who could do no wrong and like didn't want to disappoint her and it was like important for us when we wrote her that she wasn't just like this teen that wanted to rebel and like, oh, hated her mom and just want, you know, just wanted to break right. free that she puts her mom on this pedestal. Yeah. And, and that's why she could never show her mm. this side of her at, at school. And, you know, as a daughter myself and my own relationship with my mom, like I fully accept who I am, like and in the way that May accepts herself. But I also like really care about what my mom says. And so how can you be personally true to your own self and honor your parents yeah that's so tricky that's the big question of the movie too and uh you know it took us a really long time to to get to that answer because I think for me and for Julia Cho as well our writer that like both of us who have Asian parents were like uh I don't think there is an answer Mm. (laughs) I don't think there is like a way to like cleanly and perfectly mm-hmm. honor yeah. both that it's always going to be yeah. kind of a struggle, but that's okay. Like there's beauty in that as well. I think it was important for us to show that things weren't a hundred percent wrapped up at the yeah. end that yeah. May and her mom were never going to fight ever again. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, that that's just not possible that this is always just going to be a struggle for, for her and for a lot of Asian kids and immigrant kids to like that balance of honoring yourself and your parents. Yeah, I mean, of course, we see that play out in uh, May's life as a young teenager. How are you grappling with that right now as an adult? Oh, I still haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> really. I mean, I'll have like moments where I'm like, oh, my God, my parents, because I just got a tattoo like on my, like <laughs> my, my, my very oh my first God. tattoo on my <laughs> yeah. arm. And yeah, of course, yeah. when I showed them. On FaceTime, they freaked out, (laughs) understandably. I'm still too scared to do that. I know. I was scared too. So I didn't (laughs) tell them until after I did it, but I knew I had to do it. There was like like a red panda in me that was telling me, like, (laughs) you must get a tattoo to commemorate this like milestone in your life. What is it? I got it. it. Oh, it's like um, a snake wrapped around three red peonies. And the red peonies represent the movie, like uh, that that scene in the movie where. May's mom thinks May got her period like and she's a like, red did the red bloom? <laughs> and it did bloom on, on my wrist. Uh, but uh, 
Yeah, so I felt like I was a teenager again. <laughs> but then afterwards, you know, I felt this like pang of like, ugh, you know, guilt. So then I surprised them with like a trip to the Bahamas oh, for dang. New Year's. Nice. Uh, so like I, ha- I like wrestle between like feeling so frustrated that they're still trying to control my life to feeling guilty for, <laughs> right, for right. like, for like leaving them in Toronto and like, yeah, for abandoning them that I like <laughs> lavished them with random gifts, like vacations or like here you want an ipad have an ipad <laughs> did it work it works for a little bit but i think they honestly just want mm. to spend more time with mm. me and i'm like oh but that's the one thing that i don't yeah. i can't give you yeah. Yeah. as much anymore yeah but here yeah. have a have an apple watch <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the movie, I noticed uh, uh, May and her parents don't say I love you to each other. And and you've addressed in in past interviews that love was expressed through other ways and not necessarily Mm -hmm. verbally. Um, When did you realize that was the case in your own family? And and were you ever frustrated by that? I don't think I was ever frustrated by it because I could feel that they loved me. I mean, I'm also like an only child. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt a lot (laughs) from my parents, (laughs) you know, pressure, expectation, but also a lot of love. Mm -hmm. And it was just a language that I was trained to kind of understand, you know, when you grow up in that culture. I think it like I realized it was a thing that we don't say I love you more when honestly, when I started like working on this movie and having screenings of the movie and getting feedback from some non Asian people who watch it who are like oh like like why is the mom so mean why doesn't she say I love you why don't they kiss as much or like and then I was like oh okay like that like I feel the love right but it's it's like a it's like a cultural difference that I didn't realize until I started you know working with and showing the movie to non-Asian people Mm. so then it was just about like how do I convey the feeling of it without actually changing their character and ethnicity and having them act completely different. And I think it just took a lot of like figuring out, but also working with the actors. Like I think Mm -hmm. Sandra Oh brought so much to the performance Mm -hmm. of Ming. Like when she says a line, it always came from a place of love and wanting to protect May, even when she was like yelling at her and stuff. And I think if it's just on paper, it would just read like mom yelling at at kid. But right, I think right. she just added so much to it. And we'd have like Ming like fuss over May, mm-hmm. like kind of like adjust her collar, yeah, yeah. like like fix her hair. Yeah. And like that to me felt authentic to like how an Asian mom shows yeah. her love yeah, yeah. without like. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, like, what's a piece of advice that you would love to have given your mom about raising you, you know, especially during those puberty years? I guess I feel like parents should just remember all the crazy stuff that's happening to mm-hmm. your tween right now is mm-hmm. is normal, that you went through it too, that their brain chemistry and their hormones and everything that's happening in their life is like it's it's chaotic, but it's right. supposed to be. Mm. And you just kind of let them figure it out and be there when when they need you. Mm. Let them express everything. Let them explode and kind of like ah, mm. just let yeah. it all out. And then and then like once they've calmed down, you can like go in there and 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 
talk to them when yeah. they're ready. Um, well, you know, it can be scary to put something out there for people to watch and critique, especially after putting so much time into um, the film and, and your personal mm-hmm. self into this. And when Turning Red first came out, Cinema Blend had a tone-deaf review of the movie, basically calling it unrelatable and that the reviewer found it exhausting trying to relate to the film. I mean, you know, he's since apologized. But what did you think about all of that at the time or or even the pearl clutching around a Pixar film broaching puberty? He's entitled to his opinion and people don't have to like our movie. But I think like it's such a shame that you would limit mm-hmm. yourself to movies that that are about, you know, characters that look exactly like you that you can immediately relate to I think that like locks out a lot of really cool stories out Mm -hmm. there I know for me like I grew up connecting with and loving movies with protagonists that did not look like me at all so I think there is definitely like it's definitely possible for the reverse uh you know and in terms of the you know all the pearl clutching around you know the period stuff and the pad stuff we were honestly just like surprised because it's not like we were setting out to make something really controversial and you know bold and in your face we honestly just wanted to we were trying to tell like a funny authentic girl coming of age story and it just felt like a natural thing to put in a movie about a girl going through magical puberty. Uh, it was a funny, cringy moment having her uh, mom coming into the bathroom with with all of the pads. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it got a lot of really fun, like, reactions when we screened it internally. Uh, you know, it put us in May's shoes. It just felt like, yeah, yeah, we're doing this. Uh, and 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 it wasn't until we like released it out into the world and we started showing it to critics and people outside the studio that we were like, oh, I guess this is, I guess this is like bold, <laughs> which is kind of like, oh, that's kind of sad that like, yeah, this is a big deal yeah. still yeah. when like half of the world exactly goes through it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have two sons. Um, they're five and nine, and they love the movie. Um, you know, maybe they did, they were kind of lost on the whole like pads thing, although my nine year old didn't ask me about it, but I was fine. I was fine at answering those questions for him. And I appreciate having a movie uh, with a unique story like this rather than having two Pinocchio movies right now. I mean, like no shade, <laughs> but, you know, we also have two Pinocchio yeah. movies right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Well, um, you know, Turning Red is Pixar's first film with an all uh, women leadership. Why do you think that's been rare? You know, unfortunately, change is slow, but it's happening. And I think this movie is an exciting example of that. And um, and I think a lot of, you know, the boldness, the perceived boldness of the movie and the content is because of the of the amazing um, female leadership on the show. Like anytime, you know, any of us or me or Julia were like hesitant about adding something in a movie like oh is this too embarrassing or is this too awkward or whatever like we'd have a chorus of women behind us going like no (laughs) put it in you remember what it's like it was even worse than this like like do it push it go 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 so it yeah I think like it just helped us make a bolder and more authentic story Well, over the past few years, you know, uh, including Turning Red, we've seen movies that deal with these more diverse stories. I'm thinking Minari, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Encanto. 
What do you think kids today are getting out of this that other generations didn't get? I think we're really like seeing um, this newer generation of directors kind of embracing uh, therapy (laughs) and exploring their emotions and their feelings and understanding why people are the way that they are. I think, um, you know, the world is becoming more nuanced. There isn't just a black and white or a binary. There's all these shades of gray. And I think um, like that's what we're seeing a lot in like modern day movies and, and storytelling. And I think that's healthier, I think, because that that's real life. Mm. I think it's more of a reflection of real life, like how like a person isn't just bad, like right. they're like born evil or on the dark side or whatever like no like they're that this way because these events that occurred in their life and and that's the way they are and I think we're also seeing like like a breaking down of stereotypes too you're currently working on another film though right so is it one of the ideas that you pitched with Turning Red it was one of the ideas but I kind of repurposed it and kind of tweaked it a bit so it's a little different than the version that I pitched four or five years ago. Mm. It's super early on. I wish I could say more about it, but it'll be very me and uh, very much influenced by, you know, my culture and the things that I love. And yeah. Are we like maybe in two years we might be able to see this? Hopefully. I mean, animation takes at least four years. Okay. a while. It's going to be a while. <laughs> we'll, we'll mark our calendars. We'll be waiting. Yes. Um, yes, I'll see you guys in four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we wrap things up, uh, we want to play a game we call Extra Credit. Um, and it's where we ask you random rapid fire questions. Mm. So the first one, um, if you weren't in animation, what would you be doing? Maybe I would be a medical illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> okay, favorite Canadian snack? Timbits. Who is your favorite Canadian celebrity? Nathan Fielder. Oh. He was in the movie, but we cut him out. No way. I know. It it wasn't because of him. It was because the scene didn't play as well as we wanted. Favorite anime bay? Pick one. You've got a lot, I know. Anime bay? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Sanji from One Piece. Who was your first Asian celebrity crush? (laughs) Gact. He's a... J-pop oh. singer from the 90s. He looks like an anime character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. G-A-C-K-T. All right, we're going to look him up. Yeah, look him up. Um, He's got crazy hair. <laughs> Domishi is vice president of creative at Pixar Animation Studios. She won an Oscar for her animated short Bow, and you can catch her latest Oscar-nominated feature, Turning Red, streaming on Disney+. Domishi, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. As we chronicle the many people who make up sexy Asian America, we want to be as inclusive as possible. And to be clear, this is a wide interpretation of sexy. Mm -hmm. So to expand our knowledge and database, we've been asking our friends and their friends of friends about who they think we should talk to on this podcast. And we want to hear from you, too. Who is a sexy Asian we should have on the show next and why? 
Email us at shoesoff at wbez.org. We want all the tips. Shoes Off is a production of WBEZ Chicago. This episode was produced by Esther Yoonji Kang, Stephanie Kim, and me, Susie Ahn. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizek. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. And leave us a five-star rating. It'll help us reach more people and bring you more conversations with sexy Asians. We'll see you next time. Stay sexy. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.